Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I am excited about today's guest on my podcast. Her name is Laura Brotherson, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist. And I met Laura back in 2006 when I was moving from Arizona and I went to the Smart Marriages Conference in Atlanta, Georgia for a seven-day conference. I was there for the pre-conference, the main conference, the post-conference. I just was there to get as much information as I could as I was preparing to launch and move to St. George, Utah. Laura was there as well, and she had just finished her book like the year before, her very first book, which was And They Were Not Ashamed. And she was a certified family life educator at the time, and she was great. She had a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. We were networking, connecting, talking, sharing kind of ideas, and trying to you know, basically go out on our own at the kind of the same time. She was trying to figure out how to venture out with her, uh, the work she was doing, and I was starting to shift gears and moving to a new city. And we just were talking a lot about just therapy and marriages and how to strengthen them and just lots of ideas. It was a really cool, exciting time. And we even helped put a conference on together the next year and just really appreciate my long-term friendship and professional relationship with Laura. She's just a great strength to all marriages and just a positive person. And since then, she's gone on and done a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and a specialization in uh, sex therapy, which is not an easy thing to do. And there aren't very many people that have done the certified sex therapist training. And uh, she's definitely one of them. And she's just got a ton of energy, as you'll see on the podcast. And the other cool thing about Laura is she's a very prolific writer and speaker She's put out a lot of materials. She has three books, and I'll make sure there's links to those. And she references those books here in this podcast interview I did with her. But she's also got a ton of free stuff. And when I say ton, I don't know exactly how you measure digital handouts, but I'm telling you, she has got a ton of handouts that are free on her website. And I will also put links to all of those in the show notes. And so go check that stuff out. Get on her newsletter list. Just really connect with her, stay connected to her because she's doing some great things. And one thing I love about Laura is that she's not afraid just to speak straight about these things. So many people have shame or insecurities or curiosity about sex and sexuality and bodies and relationships that we might feel a little bit shy or embarrassed to ask or talk about. And she's just done a great job putting information out there in a way that's safe, that's respectful, that's tasteful, that won't make you terribly uncomfortable. And I just am really appreciative of that and her style. So so in this episode, uh, Laura and I talked about what she could share on this podcast, and we thought it would be good for her to talk about healthy sexuality. When you're talking about people that are dealing with pornography addiction or sexual addiction or any kind of sexual betrayal, there's usually been a lot of sexual miseducation. So There might be a lot of sexual things going on, but it doesn't mean that you understand what healthy sexuality or healthy sex is supposed to look like. And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
Laura has put out a handout that is available free as well, which has 20 characteristics of healthy sex and 20 characteristics of unhealthy sex. And we're actually going to go through all of those in, in two different episodes. This first episode, as you can see, is a lot longer. And then the second one will release a little bit shorter. But we get through all of them and have a great discussion on really the comparisons so that if you were involved in an addiction or you've been married to somebody with an addiction or you've just inherited or absorbed or been surrounded by unhealthy sexual attitudes and beliefs and practices, then this is for you. This will help all of us be able to clarify and get real about what really makes sex healthy in a committed relationship. And here's the thing, we're surrounded by unhealthy sexual messages. So all of us, to one degree or another, have bad information on board, and we've got to do upgrades to our operating system, if you will. And that's what Laura's here to do with all her materials and her uh, appearance here on this podcast, just to help start those conversations and give us a chance to really evaluate and rethink the way we're doing things and the way we teach these things to our families. So I'm going to jump right in with my interview with Laura Brotherson. Well, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, Laura. It's so good to have you here. So great to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about sex, which you love talking about. And yes. it's just thrilling to have someone <laughs> with your expertise and experience. And I'll introduce, we'll give listeners access to all your stuff in the show notes and everything. But this is just a really great topic and such an important one for people that are dealing with sexual betrayal, especially. And a couple of things I'll say, just setting up our talk today is that I know that in, in my work with people that have been addicted to pornography or have had any kind of sexual acting out behaviors, fantasies, affairs, things like that, they have been sexually miseducated so profoundly that they think they understand what sex is, but there's so much missing. And so we're going to talk about that today and really what healthy sex looks like versus unhealthy sex. And the one big sort of footnote I want to put on this, because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are working through healing from betrayal trauma, sexual betrayal. In my experience, and I'd love to hear what you think on this, in my experience, a lot of times people try and fix betrayal just with sex. Before they really do their own individual recovery work, before they do any sort of deep accountability or disclosure, other kinds of things to create safety and containment, they'll oftentimes just say like, well, we've got a sexual problem, so let's just have more sex or mix it up or spice it up or read a book on sex. But I just want to say to my listeners, if you're in the middle of active betrayal, if you just came off of a disclosure, if you are struggling and in the early days, weeks, months of recovery, this podcast is something you're going to want to bookmark for later on. Nothing wrong with listening to it now, but please recognize that it's important to have healthy expectations about what's possible when you aren't really in a safe place yet. Anything you want to add to that before we dive in? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, we're going for, so while I specialize in sexual addiction stuff, I mean, my real forte is healthy sexuality, sexual wholeness, sextraordinary marriages is kind of my key term that I'm actually just trademarking finally. Finally, um, yep. Finally, but we're looking at personal wholeness first before we can create sexual wholeness. And especially when we're talking in the context of the betrayal trauma, which we're, we're dealing with here, we've got to do a whole bunch of kind of healing work almost first. And like you said, some women just simply won't even be able to to start on sexual stuff really directly. I've had a lot of clients come in and they're just like, Laura, I, I can't even read your books. I, right. I can't stand the term sextraordinary marriages. I hate that concept. And that might be where a lot of your listeners potentially are. And that's okay. 
and we're just what I really am just wanting to do, and especially with the context that you have, is I just feel like nobody really has sat down and put together what healthy sexuality looks like. We, we're a little better at listing out what unhealthy looks like, but we are not good at what healthy looks like. So that's really what I'm trying to accomplish. That's kind of my mission. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just going to say, and back to the miseducation, I mean, we so have to unlearn a whole bunch of things, especially for men that have been what I kind of call pornified, which I think others call yeah. as well. But we've got a lot of relearning to do. We've got a lot of unlearning to do. And Jeff, we usually are putting this on top of not only a woman having to deal with this, this horrible betrayal feelings, but also often being on top of not really having a healthy sexual self to start with. Most women, I mean, we leave the whole addiction and betrayal stuff out. We still have just a whole bunch of women in general, men as well, who don't have any concept of just sexual wholeness and healthy sexuality. So it's kind of a double whammy for them. Totally. I see this all the time where a lot of women will come in with their husband. Their husband's been, you know, caught or has come forward with an affair or with a sexual addiction or pornography, whatever. Yeah. And the message is basically, you know, you take care of your sexual problem, mister. And, and then I'll just be over here on the sidelines waiting until you're better. And then we'll jump back into our marriage, our sexual intimacy, whatever. But she's not moved an inch and just mostly been kind of in cold storage waiting for things to get better. And then when she comes out thinking that the coast is clear, she's no more sexually healthy than she was before. And there's a lot of programming ideas you talk about in your first book, The Good Girl Syndrome, things like that, where there's just a lot of programming for women around sexuality from their moms and grandmas. and culture and other things that really mess with their sexual wiring and expectations. And so I look at this as an opportunity to say, hey, let's strip this whole thing down to the frame with this betrayal and let's put back in place a healthy self, a healthy relationship and healthy sexuality. Right. It's a great opportunity, it. right? Just to gut the house and let's just remodel this thing so that it works better long-term. Yeah, Jeff. And I think the most painful thing for our context today is when we've got women that that not only are dealing with that trauma, but we're kind of at some point now asking them to, hey, let's actually go back and build a healthy sexual self. Because a lot of times, and research tells us that women are starting from kind of a, we intellectually know we're sexual beings, but we don't really know that we're sexual beings. Right. And so to mess with that forest of trauma, and then, oh, you know, by the way, there is an important element that we just, we haven't even touched. And that's for both men and women. I've loved it. A lot of times men that do men's groups, addiction recovery groups, they'll get my book and they'll, they'll make their men read my books, some of my books, just to try to reprogram, yeah. relearn, uneducate that sexual so that they even know what healthy sexuality would look like. That's a big part of why I loved the idea of having you on here was so we could educate everyone on mm -hmm. what to expect, what to look like, regardless of the timing. So Right. You know, pay attention to where you are, work closely with your supports and your therapy, whatever, and figure out where you are. There's, there's absolutely zero pressure, zero expectations from us in talking about this, that everybody should be at the same place. That would be crazy and impossible anyway, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Regardless of this. Right. Like. Be gentle. Yeah. Be gentle with yeah. yourself, especially with this kind of a topic that is so, you know, can be such a taboo, delicate subject. And, and I'll speak to the men. Generally, I work mostly with men who are dealing with their own addictions or sexual issues in terms of betrayal. 
do not use this podcast as a pressure point or a club to sort of, you know, convince your wife, like, look, these two experts are talking about these things and they say, this is what it's supposed to look like. And ours doesn't look like this. And Hey, when do you think we can make it look like this? And right. Like this is not, I'm sure your book, I'm sure your book has been placed in many (laughs) women's hands hands. where they're just like, uh, Uh -uh. this is pretty one-sided. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) You got it. Perfect, perfect description there. Okay. Well, let's dive in. You know, we talked about this miseducator. And again, I recognize that, I mean, that term, that pornified term, I think it was Pamela Paul in her book, Pornified. She talks about how our culture is just saturated with pornified ideas, images, attitudes. It's in the music. It's in, so whether you've actually gone to the internet and looked up what would be called, you know, hardcore pornography or the the kind of the more dark stuff. It doesn't really matter if you're looking at the cover of women's magazines or watching movies or even just like spending any time in a middle school. There's just so many attitudes and beliefs about gender and about bodies and other expectations that we don't even recognize are totally based on lies. And so I think every single one of us has been miseducated to some degree, would you say? For sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't even need to have looked at porn, sought out porn at all. I mean, if you're alive and you're breathing and you're driving down the road, you're going to be That's running right. into this stuff, period. I mean, and if you let my husband's from Nevada, and so I'm just like, you know, you drive down those Nevada's Vegas strips. I mean, hello, you've been pornified, you know, I mean, it's everywhere. And so it, it's hard to ignore. And it's, it's a huge issue, as you well know. What I love about this discussion we're going to have and and some of the things that you're going to share is that it really helps us understand what we've been learning, right? Right. What we've been miseducated about. I mean, I can think back to my very first memory of kind of sexual learning. I was probably six or seven. I mean, how in the world is a child that young supposed to make sense of something like that when I can barely zip up my own pants, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, it's just like, I'm just like fine motor skills. I'm working on that. And here we are trying to expect kids to like figure out these really complicated, most adults can't even figure out. So sure. So you made a chart, you gathered a lot of stuff. And that's one thing I love about you, Laura, like you're a great collator of information. Your first book was that you just saw a need and started gathering and, and writing and you're a great summarizer. And so this characteristics of healthy versus unhealthy sex chart, Can you just take a second and tell us like, what's the genesis of this for you? Where'd this come from? Yeah, sure. Maybe before I dive in there, just real quick, kind of back to miseducation before we get too far in. Yeah. You know, I think one of the biggest things we need to just understand about pornography and how it's, I just posted on my Instagram social media and Facebook social media, porn is the world's worst sex educator. And, And I go through and I just kind of talk about how come that's true. And just a couple of things. I mean, porn is just not real sex. It's not what real, healthy, committed marriages sex looks like at all. It's kind of why I'm a little bit something about even sex research, because they can't even do research that mimics real relationships at all. I mean, they tell somebody to go look at porn and and then measure genitals. I mean, that just doesn't cut it. And so, you know, you're just, it's just not real. And so you develop all of this, these arousal templates and all of these expectations that are just off. And then, you know, what I, why I wrote my third book, you know, from honeymoon to happily ever after is, you know, we've just got so many young men, particularly coming into marriage thinking, oh my goodness, I can finally have sex. And it's just this free for all. And they've been pornified. They've been trained, conditioned with pornography. 
that they've just, they're operating in a completely unrealistic fantasy type world that our good girl syndrome young women are just, that's not going to cut it. And so we just have to understand it's not real. It messes with your sexual template. It messes with your sexual conditioning. And so if you're trying to go to healthy, you almost always have to undo some of that unhealthy learning. That's why I love it when people get into my books, because then it's like they can reprogram out the garbage, get rid of that sludge, get some positives in there, get godly visions of sexual wholeness in there. And now we can create something awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. It's like really the perfect storm, right? When, especially for couples that are trying to maintain their sexual virtue before marriage and come in as virgins or not having a lot of sexual experiences at all. It's really the perfect storm of coming in with an idea of what you think sex is going to look like. Right. And that collision has damaged many marriages that I've worked with over the years. I'm sure you've seen the same thing. And some people just think, well, this may be the best it can be, or this is, you know, I just probably better just suck it up and just kind of deal with it, you know, and it's just so tragic. Yeah. And this is why I love my sextraordinary marriages term is that I'm, I'm constantly trying to put before people's mind, heart, minds, and souls that God has something better, but there's going to be a fair bit of work, whether we've got addiction in the mix or not, there's a fair bit of work to get to it. I've done the work. I've been there. I sort of invented the wheel and it's not easy, but it's so worth it. And it's what God intended. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so validating to know that this isn't just like natural and happening for some subgroup of people out there who, Mm -mm. you know, because the media would of course make you think that like, you know, there's just a bunch of women out there or a bunch of men who are just really, really good at this. And they just, it's just so natural and they're just so turned on all the time. And it's just like Mm -hmm. flows without having to talk about anything or look at yourself. Right. Fiction, fantasy. Yeah, total. And it sells a ton of whatever ads, revenue. I mean, it's just so, uh, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Even chick flicks can be totally damaging. I mean, I'm actually a huge fan of chick flicks just because I think it's it's a little bit helpful for women where we have a little different wiring than men do. They've got testosterone and we don't. So it can be helpful, but it can be dangerous. You know, I'm just thinking of a client last week that I was getting into an argument with for the multiple times, just, he just is very kind of pro porn and thinks that it's very helpful and good. And I'm just like, dude, you know, and there's just so many unhealthy things that he's bringing into his marriage that his wife can't compete with that, that we're just causing a lot of issues there. Right. It's somebody once said to me, I don't know who said it, but it just made me laugh. They said like learning about sex from porn is like learning how to be a spy from James Bond. Right. It's like, well, and, and like I just posted on Instagram as well is, you know, trying to learn about sex or getting sex advice or sex education is like from porn is like trying to get food out of the dumpster. Totally. Totally. It's, Rotten, it's just yeah. not on track at all. So, <laughs> but back to your question, if you want to go next to yeah. kind of why I put this together. Yeah. yeah. You know me, Jeff. I mean, I'm just a, I'm a practical application girl. I want people to be able to take it, use it, change their lives, make it better especially if they don't ever have access to me. I mean, I have a nine month wait list all the time. And so I, that's why I have 180 plus resources on my page that are all free because I keep putting my clinical handouts that I make for my clients out to people. And this is one of them. This is also part of the next book that I'm working on too. But you know, it's, I just basically, I started with Wendy Maltz's porn trap where she kind of is the first one to write kind of a healthy sex versus porn related sex. So I started with that 
and I grabbed a couple of other, you'd be amazed, or maybe you wouldn't, at how difficult it is to actually find any kind of healthy sexuality discussion. Because it's so political, too, that, you know, totally. and, and where if it's outside of a Christian environment, it's just not even on the right page at all. So, you know, it, I just feel like there's, there was nothing out there. So I grabbed her stuff. I added a little bit of, what's the other book that I used? Oh, Men's Sexual Health, Barry McCarthy. Oh, McCarthy, Mike yeah. Metz, and some McCarthy and Metz. And then also, what was the other one? Oh, Every Man's Battle. Yeah. Another a good Christian resource that I right. love, love, love. And then I added in my, because again, my focus first is the healthy sexuality, is the sexual wholeness. So I was able to take kind of all of their unhealthy lists of characteristics, and then I could add in what the healthy version looks like, because that's what I do all the time. And so I was able to add that in. Plus, I had done a male sexuality survey, and we got like nearly a thousand responses to that. And so then I could take what I learned from that and add that in as well. So I wanted to just create something very easy for someone to say, okay, this is what healthy looks like. This is what not healthy looks like and make it really simple for people to have a vision or a blueprint that they could work towards. I love it. So you can download this resource on your website and I'll put a link to it directly in the show notes so you can go look at it and follow along. But our discussion for this episode and actually the next episode is there's 20 of them. But like you pointed out to me, Laura, there's actually 40 of them because if we talk about the unhealthy and then the healthy, we're taking those 20 items and splitting them in ha- and we're actually doubling them because we yep. got to cover both sides. And so yeah, I had asked you, I just said, Hey, let's go through all 20 of these. And Thanks. you know, if these podcasts are a little longer than the standard 25 minutes, then that's okay. <laughs> well, we've got time in the studio here. We'll just make it work. But I'm, <laughs> my I, kids will be so surprised, Jeff, that my episodes are longer than normal. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker mom, not just 15 minutes. You can't just get it done. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm a talker too, so I get it. And so let's dive in. We're going to go through one through 10 on this episode and then we'll, we'll pause and then we'll record a second episode and go through 11 through 20 and spend a few minutes on each and we'll just watch the time. And I I just really want people to, who are listening to this, whether they download the handout or not, to really get a, a nice overview of what's possible for healthy sexuality. And it will also, like I said earlier, help you identify perhaps where you've been miseducated. Yeah. You know, and just as a little back, you might add this in later, but, you know, just so people kind of know where I'm coming from, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I'm a systemically trained relational therapist, but I'm also a certified sex therapist. And there are very, very few of us in existence. When I lived in Idaho, I was the only one when I first started there. And I think there's maybe 10 in the state of Utah now. So, I mean, this is like having a second master's degree in healthy sexuality is, is, kind of, is kind of where my I'm coming from. And then, of course, I've written three books to help people learn this kind of stuff. But yeah, let's just dive in. So the first one is actually I was listening to one of your episodes about the body image stuff. And that's what I've done is I took the 20 healthy characteristics and I put them in alphabetical order just to give some order to what the 20 characteristics are. So the first one actually happens to be accepting your body. So a healthy version is is women and men, but this is more of a woman issue, women accepting, embracing, making peace with their body. And you talked about that really well in that last step in that episode, but you're just developing some comfort around that. And that's a lot of work. This is probably one of our number one issues for women when it just in, in embracing and fully engaging sexually is that if you're a female you've got body image issues. You just do. If you've been alive and you've been breathing and you've been looking at any media whatsoever, you've got body image issues. So it's a mental discipline 
That's the one thing that I would have added to that last episode is body image issues are also a mental discipline. And so when you let those thoughts have a free free for all in your mind, that's going to cause some issues. Okay. And again, I'll try to keep it minimal on all of these, or I could talk for half an hour about all of them. But the unhealthy version of this is uncomfortable, ashamed, critical, embarrassed of one's body and or body parts, dissatisfaction with body and body parts. And that might be self or towards your spouse. So I have multiple clients where the husbands are kind of wishing the wives would go get some work done, you know, and being very dissatisfied, overly focused on their appearance because it doesn't match what they've been trained to see in sexual situations in media and pornography specifically. Right. And because in the media and specifically in pornography, as we mentioned, they zoom in close on specific body parts and basically just isolate people to their parts instead of showing the whole person or showing different sizes of people, different ages of people, different races of people. Like it's, it's oftentimes, you know, a very kind of one dimensional. Now, granted with the internet, there's lots of different bodies and people out there, but for the most part, they all fit a very narrow sort of, as one person called it, the official body. And, (laughs) and so that, that pressure then, if you're feeling like, oh, I've got to like fix this one little part, then you are going to encounter an entire industry that would be more than happy to take your money and collude with you and believing that there's something wrong with you. Right. Well, and the main thing too, I think, is just remembering that those bodies are surgically enhanced almost all the time, or almost every one of them. Yeah. So that's, you're not even competing with reality. You're just, and that's where the power is for women, because I work with a lot of women trying to embrace that body image, you know, and making peace with that. And you've got to remember that you're not competing with that and just shut it out and put it on the shelf because that's not what we're, that's not what we're shooting for. Yeah. It's so hard though, isn't it? Because our, our minds believe what we see, like we see these right. and they, we, it's, it is like you said, it's a mental discipline to recognize, okay, not real, not real, not real. <laughs> right, right, right. Jeff. And one of my big, one of my biggest favorite things that I teach my clients is a book called Loving What Is by Byron Katie. Yeah. It's incredibly transformative if you're yeah. familiar with it. But it's, it's, just, it's just teaching your brain to double check every negative thought that comes in. I used to give, I, I'm just laughing because I, I used to give our, in grad, in, in, at BYU when I was in school, I used to give the professor a lot of crap because we had to take the cognitive behavior class for marriage counseling. And we were all just like, oh, cognitive stuff, blah, 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 kind of giving it some, dissing it a little bit. But I've just come to the place where it's like pretty much everything at the end of the day can come down to if you can master your thoughts. Right. No, there's a, absolutely a place it's for huge. it. It's, it's critical. It's discipline. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, and, and I'll definitely make a plug for Beauty Redefined and, and some of the work they're doing about if you have body image, you know, struggles, like you said, if you're a woman, you definitely have them. There's great organizations and resources out there who are helping yeah. people understand and sort through all the media lies and harmful messages to make peace through. Sure. But you're saying like in terms of having healthy sex in a relationship, if you're so preoccupied the whole time about your body yeah. and hating your body, that's going to get in the way of you being open, yeah. of being connected. You might think that you're somehow not affecting yourself or your partner by having these private, like hateful thoughts about your own body, but it, it comes out. It's, it's huge. Right. It gets in the way. Yeah. So on both sides, Jeff, if you're the man and you're being critical of her body internally, yes. I call this my 80-20 communication rule. 80% of what you're thinking and feeling is coming through at an 80% volume. Mm-hmm. So you might see nothing during sex, but if, uh, if I'm the man and I'm thinking, oh, she's so bad and I wish she would do this and I wish she would work out more and blah, blah, blah. 
we can feel that. And if I and and then on the woman's side, if we're thinking, oh, I'm so fat and I'm so this, and he's how could he be attracted to me? It's messing with our ability. We because in sexuality, we have to be able to relax and let go. Right. And if you are preoccupied with this, these thoughts, it, it's going to get in your way big time. Yeah, absolutely. And the truth is, is that people of all shapes, sizes, and ages can have deeply satisfying and exciting and playful sex. Yeah. Because they invite everybody out of the bedroom and they just get to be with each other and, mm-hmm. and stop the comparison. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I use the term sexy is a state of mind. It's yeah. one of my favorite quotes of, of mine. <laughs> um, sexy is a state of mind. And the thought is, I like myself, I like my body, and I'm happy to share it with you. And if you don't have that mental place, it's a lot, it's very difficult to let go and fully embrace sexuality. I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, anything else on that or should we go on the next one? Nope, let's move. That probably is- We're doing great. Number two. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, so number two would be just, and some of these are a little simpler than, than others. Number, this one is affection. We need to have affection for its own sake. So I have multiple women that have said to me, Laura, I remember the day in my marriage, that I decided I would never touch my husband again. Hmm. Imagine why? Because they realized it always led to something. It was always attached to something. And so they have just stopped touching, stopped connecting because they feel like their husbands are just hungry dog syndrome, wanting it all the time. And so they just put up these walls and it keeps them at, at bay. So healthy sexuality is that we can be affectionate and nobody is freaking out if it doesn't lead to something more, okay? And so the unhealthy is non-sexual affection is only attached to sex. And we just don't really touch other than if it hoping, we're hoping it's leading to something. That's so not okay. That is not sexual wholeness. So that's a simple one, number two. Yeah, and, what, and one thing you're not going to see in like pornography or, you know, right. it, you're, you're just not going to see like hand-holding and and, mm-hmm. you know, nuz- nuzzling and, you know, just yep. so like a lot of that non-sexual kind of tenderness, like a long embrace and just feeling really close to each other with clothes on. You just don't see that. Right. No. It goes straight to sex and it really wires people to, you know, think kind of more directly about sex, which is, you know, right. especially for women is so, it's more indirect. And so this whole affection thing, it, it's incredible. Like, and I see this a lot with couples that, again, are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I see this a lot with conservative couples that wait for marriage to have sex, that right. all of a sudden they get that certificate and it is like all the rules change. It's like, oh, we don't have to do that stuff we did when we were dating because that was just like, you know, that was just keeping those rules. But now- That was the cheap stuff. Right. Now I can, I can grab your body anytime I want. Or, you know, they can just go yeah. straight to, a lot of it ends up becoming like, in my view, and I've called a lot of guys on this, especially- like you're groping your wife, you're sexually abusing her. Like this is yep. not okay. Like this yep. is this is so, you would never do that to somebody you were dating. They would yep. never marry you. Yeah, <laughs> so disrespectful. Yep. We'll, yeah, and we'll get into that because that's one of one of our points. But right. yeah, it's a huge huge thing of it. One of the things that I most often do for couples, and I'll try to throw in a little bit of a what do I do? You know, I just maybe just as a help. Every chapter in this book walks people through how to address all of these things. So we're right. touching the definition, but we're not getting a ton into the application part. And so there is help for that, for people to get that from like my Knowing Her Intimately book, for example. But back to the, the one tool that's really helpful for couples that any of your people can apply in any of your probably situations is something I call touch homework. 
where they just choose one night, one, one day of the week, often it's Sunday night at nine o'clock, for example, where that is a time where they both know we're going to be affectionate, we're going to cuddle, but it's not sexual. It's not going to be any erotic touching. We're going to both relearn. I mean, think about that woman I just mentioned about earlier. She needs to relearn that she can actually receive touch and not have it go somewhere. So we have to retrain her, her brain. But we also have to retrain the guy's brain to enjoy and bask in that wonderfully delicious touch. I mean, that's the oxytocin stuff too. It's not just sex that, that we get that from. And so we're trying to retrain them both. And sometimes that touch homework can help them with that. Uh, that's so practical. I love that. And you're right. I mean, when, you know, I remember when I was dating my wife and we both had committed to sexual f- chastity before marriage. I mean, like just touching or touching the face would be like the biggest thrill, right? It was so powerful and it doesn't have to just be a dating thing. Just because you can have sex doesn't mean that that stuff still can't be thrilling. Yeah, Jeff, this is some of that, that deliciousness that I'm all about right. is that when you've got a sex extraordinary marriage, you have the awesome sex part, but you also have the awesome affection part. Right. How wonderful is that? Right. That's what we're shooting for. And they flow, yeah, they flow into each other. It just becomes one sort of way of living. Yeah. Okay, number three. Number three. So number three is, this is huge. Okay, number three is agency, freedom to choose, or entitled, and sex is an expectation. This is huge. I have, let me see if I have this here really easy to grab, but I have a, a whole diagram in one of my books that talks about is my ACEs diagram that for women to be able to move from duty sex to, I want you sex that we've got to do ACEs agency connection, embracing your sexuality and safety and ACE the A for ACE for agency is the first big thing. If I, if as a woman, I can't, I don't feel like I can freely choose. If I feel like he is so needing it and so pressuring of it, I can't freely give it. Right. It's like, does that make sense? Well, yeah, there's it, no space to like even so walk over and choose it because he's like in your grill right. all the time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not just, and men have to understand that it's not just restraining themselves. It's also just having an internal respect. It's, I call it bridling sexual self-mastery and that men are trying, are needing to do that in order to give agency back to their wives. I have probably four or five couples right now that our primary objective in counseling is to restore agency back to her. And not all of them are are pornography related. This is just just damage from the honeymoon where he jumped in and took sex, wasn't even at all attentive to what she was feeling or thinking. And we're undoing that damage still now. So, I mean, agency is huge. Because, you know, and it's kind of two parts, you know, because the cultivated desire or lower desire spouse, she needs to have often a she, she needs to have a voice in the bedroom, but the spontaneous desire spouse also needs to feel like they have a voice in the bedroom. So we've got to both feel like we have a voice. And then the unhealthy side is just when there's that pressure, coercion, manipulation, demands for sex or, and, and, or spouse feels guilted into it, you know, pressured into it. I have so many wives that say, Laura, I can't really choose. If I say no, he's a bear for three days. He's grumpy with the kids. He's almost unbearable. I'd rather just give in and have sex with him. That is not okay. You know, that's just not okay. And so we've got to develop some of that sexual self-mastery on his side and some of that embracing and nurturing and developing on her side in order to get to sexual wholeness. 
Right. And, and, and when I've talked to guys, I've seen the same dynamic, Laura. Like when I talk to guys and I, I get them to be really honest, I'll say, you and I both know she never really said yes to you, right? You don't feel wanted. You don't feel like she went along with it, but you can't really say yes until no is okay and you don't get punished right. for it. And so that agency, yeah, that is so huge. And in pornography, you know, talking about like the, the unhealthy sexuality, and pornography, agency is like totally not in, like not even on the table. It's just like, yeah. like there's no question about it. It's just going to happen and it's expected and it's what they're there for. It's, it's just not, it's just so removed and there's, and there's often violence and things that are being done. And a lot of the times, you know, the rape myth, right? So like no really means yes. I mean, it just, it gets right. so distorted and so unhealthy that especially for a lot of the young men I work with that are going into marriage, they, they're programmed and wired through watching pornography to believe that when a woman is really uncomfortable, you keep pushing because right. she really secretly wants it. It's just, it's, it's right. rape culture and it's so damaging. Right. And to really activate agency is really just to check in and see and honor and, and respect where your partner is at and give them the chance to right. share that, right? Right. And I kind of talk about something I call an 80-20 relationship dynamic where a lot of our women fall into what I call a 20% or personality type. And it leans more to that codependent side. Whereas a lot of men tend to lean towards what I call an 80 percenter, where they're a little bit leans to more that narcissistic self-centered side. And so when you've got that dynamic yeah. built kind of coming into every single marriage to some degree, I actually fit more on the 80 percenter side in my marriage, unfortunately. But, you know, but that dynamic has to be attended to. And that's where, you know, with the agency, our women have to learn how to speak up and stand up and say no and require respect. And that's hard for them. I spend so much time with women helping them to do those four things, speak up, stand up, say no, require respect. And that's hard for them. But for men, they really have to kind of work through understanding that they are in kind of an imbalanced power differential. You know what I mean? And so, so that's a big thing. And the other thought that comes up with agency I am so not a fan of the word consent. I just am so not a fan of the word consent. It just is so not in the context of what I think agency and respect. It's a whole different animal to just get consent, you know? And so I, I kind of just have to verbalize that because it's different. Yeah, it's loaded, right? Because you can, you can go along with something and look on paper like you're consenting, but is agency right. really active? So I think, yeah, yes. it's missing. It's yes. missing a real kind of like soul quality to it, right? Yes, yes, and that's yeah. why I have a hard time with it. Yeah. And just a little plug for our guys that are the spontaneous desire guys. I mean, I do want, I do feel for them as well, especially outside of the pornography context as well, because they feel like they don't have a voice, they don't have an opportunity to to even have any say in stuff, and so that becomes a real bummer for them and unhealthy for on their side as well, where they're not the bad guy. Right. If that makes sense. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of, you know, guys that I work with feel like they've lost their voice in the bedroom as well. Yeah. And some of it's, you know, they, they wonder like, yeah, I betrayed you all these years ago, but at what point do I get to have a need or a want or a desire without it being, you know, looking selfish or that I'm not caring about your pain? And it, this is a challenge, but agency- It's hard. Agency is the key here that everybody knows that, that they have the ability to voice and choose and be fully in. And respect. That's why mm -hmm. I love agency with respect, because agency is one thing, but without respect brings in, I need to respect that my wife is, you know, if I'm the husband, that the wife, my wife is feeling trauma and can't go there. But, but 
But at some point, we also want to show some respect for that sex is a very important part of how a man feels loved. And we don't want to demonize that. And that's a big challenge when we're dealing with addiction and betrayal trauma stuff as well. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, let's move on to number four. Okay, number four, bridal. Some of these are a little bit overlapped. Sure. We need to kind of, they have a, a specific separate context that we have to address. But number four is bridled, restrained, respectful, kind of this healthy boundaries, emotionally, physically safe, the sexual self-mastery and sexual development. And the other being the unhealthy being unrestrained, impulse gratification, disrespecting boundaries, unsafe emotionally or physically, a compulsive or obsessive drive, or the unhealthy version often for women is a suppressed or underdeveloped drive. So it just kind of takes what we just talked about and takes it a little bit to another level, bridling versus unrestrained. And I think people can kind of think through what that looks like as well. Yeah, fantastic. Do okay. you, so in your experience with this, I mean, with, with all the people that you worked with in, in terms of, you know, sexual health and things like that, how do you bring somebody who has spent years looking at pornography and all they've really ever seen, or maybe even had modeled form in their families is this you know, unrestrained, entitled, sort of just, yeah. just act on it if it feels good. How have you yeah. helped people? What, I, I recognize that that's probably a lot to chew here, but like, what do you do? Like, where do you, how do you help somebody yeah. slow that? A lot of women, and I'll just say this, is there hope, right? Yeah. Can people really reprogram, oh, yeah. right? Absolutely. You betcha. I'm just pulling out a couple of my handouts. And again, all of these are on my Marital Intimacy Institute website. That's my counseling website versus my regular website is strengtheningmarriage.com. But this one, for example, is first steps for him and her in creating this extraordinary marriage. And it's the first steps for bridling and sexual self-mastery for men and first steps for embracing and developing for women. So this is on my website that men can get, anybody can get. But number one is men need to work on bridling and surrender to remove that psychological pressure. And I have two handouts. One is seven steps of spiritual surrender and another, how to connect more personally and more profoundly with Jesus, with Christ and develop a relationship. And so these are two things that people specific, I have one husband, he said, Laura, I wake up every morning and I read that spiritual surrender handout just to keep program reprogramming my brain. So there's maybe there's step one, a step two is writing out, and this will be a, a over and over process, but I have men write out 50 things minimum, things that they hate, are frustrated, are angry, are resentful about, about sex. My wife never initiates. I hate that she never wants to wear lingerie. I hate this. I hate this. Same process for women as well, just on the other side. But so men are cleaning out a lot of that genuine feelings, emotions, that beliefs that they have accumulated over time, we've got to start cleaning out that that mental sludge. Okay. So that's number two. Number three, focus on things that you like, love, and appreciate about your wife. So I have them. Sometimes if they want to, I say, you text me every single week, five things that you like, love, or appreciate about your wife, specifically, intimately. And it might be something as simple as, I like that she let me touch your face when we fell asleep and didn't get mad. Number two, I like that she came and kissed me on the cheek. Number three, I like that she was playful with me in the kitchen. Number four, I mean, these are little teeny tiny things if necessary, but we're reprogramming their brain to get out of the negatives and into the positives. So those are just, those are just three steps to get them. No, that's fantastic. And like you said, it's something that has to be learned. This is not 
And like you said, because, you know, as men, we tend to, we tend to come out of the gate roaring, you know, with testosterone and all of, all of that, and even some conditioning that this is something that just, we have to learn as men. And for women, I love that you put the flip side on there that like, it's not enough just to settle the guys down. The, The women also have to come out and embrace as well, you know, this maybe what might be suppressed or underdeveloped. And that's why I felt like this kind of resource was so missing is that nobody had tackled both sides of what yeah. healthy and unhealthy look like because yeah. it's not otherwise all of the lists we currently have really just demonize men that's really all they do and i'm pro man i'm pro i i feel for men i just feel for because i've learned i've trained myself to think like a guy and i have a lot of masculine characteristics as an 80 percenter as well so i can think like what it would feel like to have that testosterone to have that strong God-given sex drive and what it would feel like to have a wife never want to, never initiate, never be interested, never be fully present, never be fully engaged. That's tough stuff for a guy. You know, obviously there's way tough stuff for women as too, but I just want men to understand that I try to get them to. Right. But I think a lot of women in my experience with, in working with couples is that they, they sort of come into marriage. A lot of women come in on the defense, right? They've been taught that the boys are going to play offense. And that, you know, that there's, that basically they are, you know, that they're basically going to be always behind and always underdeveloped and that, you know, so for example, I I talked with one couple where as they were driving to the temple to get married, she turns to him and says, please don't hurt me tonight. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she just, she started crying and he's like, what? And they had had a great courtship and they were, you know, but she was just like, don't hurt me tonight. And he's like, where'd that? So they talked and her mom, her mom had told her that, and this, she was obviously talking about her own experience on her honeymoon, which is, she says, yeah, your father scared me. He was so aggressive on our honeymoon and basically like never, it never got repaired. And so her mom's framework for sex was like, you've got to like protect yourself in the bedroom. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a street fight in there and you better so this couple, like, so, and I see oh, this a lot, yes. that's a very direct example, but I see a lot Beautiful. of other, a lot of sort of like examples like this where women just don't even take charge of it. They're just like, you know, he'll just run it and I'll just sort of like defend myself or go along with it sometimes. I and mean, it just feels like a minefield to him. Oh, Jeff, this is why I busted my butt to write this book <laughs> when I was trying to write the husband book that goes with my knowing her intimately. Oh, that's right. This one got in front, didn't it? <laughs> this one got in front from honeymoon to happily ever after 23 keys to prepare for a sex ordinary marriage, because I do not want anybody to go into marriage like that ever again. I'm trying to stop the honeymoon horror stories. I'm trying to help people, men and women come in with a healthy mindset, healthy education, and the ability to talk openly, confidently, comfortably about this very, very important topic. And when we, you know, I have kids getting married now and there's nothing awesomer than have children that I know are starting so much better than everyone else usually starts. That's right. And we have a whole generation of that now. If people will do the preparatory work. Do the work, yeah. They think we can't talk about sex before marriage because it's like, you know, not a good topic or something, but we can. There's so many things we can discuss, so many things we can learn and understand. And so much of that pre-marital unprogramming, reprogramming, unlearning that we can do. Okay. Number five. Okay. Number five, connection-based, focused on the person, focused on connection, good enough sex versus unhealthy is performance-based, 
focused on the physicality, focused on the acts or the outcome, focused on climax, focused on efficiency, focused on performance or perfection focused. So that'll just kill you. You know, when we're, you know, for a lot of women, a third of all women really struggle to have an orgasm regularly. For men, you know, that would be just unacceptable, you know, for men to have that often that they don't have a climax. And so when the focus gets too much on performance or the physicality, you get yourself into spectatoring, which is, you know, watching yourself have sex instead of just letting go and being fully present, you know, and so we're trying to make it about we're shooting for connection. We kind of almost, when you take my concept of surrender, which we won't even really be able to get into here, but when we take this concept of surrender, then you're going into every lovemaking session with just the, the objective to connect. And if we have any additional pleasure and, and whatever, fabulous. But that's not the objective because it puts us in the wrong mind frame to actually have a mutually fulfilling experience. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, you look at any like Cosmopolitan or any sort of any of these magazines out there and it's right. all technique performance based. Yeah. So yeah. women are going in there. Okay. It told me there were 400 <laughs> things men like, you know, and like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, it's just, it's just so laughable and ridiculous, but there's not, you're not going to see 400 ways to feel more connected emotionally to your husband. Like it's just not going to happen. No. Yeah. But, yeah. If I ha- oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it reminds me in my book, the knowing her intimately, it's actually 12 T's. And one of them is technique, one of them is treats, one of them is teasing, and men invariably go to the technique chapter and the treats chapter first. But I talk about in the first part of the technique chapter, because they think it's all about a technique, and they so miss the point. And that's why men more than women almost need to read this Knowing Her Intimately book, because, you know, it's it's not about a technique. It's not about that. It's so, the the mind is the most important organ in sex. And so if we don't have the mind in gear in the right frame first, it really won't matter how good your techniques are. And pornography is, I mean, it, it, by definition, it is a performance. It's some, it's voyeuristic. Right. You're watching somebody else perform something. So right. all you're going to see is somebody totally disconnected, focusing on a performance and it's all, it's all just acting and, and sort right. of bring that mindset into the bedroom is so disconnecting because right. you're for just, sure. like you said, you're just watching yourself. Yeah, for okay. sure. So number six, just to kind of help you help us move in here a uh-huh. little bit quicker. Yep. If fully present and engaged mentally, emotionally, physically, or detached mentally, emotionally. So that's unhealthy is passive, mechanical, fantasizing about someone else other than your spouse, fantasizing about other acts. So I mean, I've got a lot of I've got a, a client where he's so obsessed with oral sex that he literally gets no pleasure from the awesome sex they're actually having. And that's kind of just a, and that's a big part of it. But the, the detached mentally and emotionally women really struggle with this because sex is such a mental discipline for us. We've got to keep, we're the worldwide webs. We have to keep all those other tabs closed so that we can focus on the sex tab. And that's hard for us. And so if we are detached or thinking about is the, can the kids hear us or did we lock the door? Or I need to remember to put this on the grocery list. You're not present and you're not fully engaged. And so I have a handout of different tools people can use to be more present and actively engaged. So women and men both have work right in here. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I'll add to that, if I can, is that I've seen a lot of couples too, where, especially when they're working through betrayal and and rebuilding trust in a relationship, that there's a real sort of like self, like preoccupation with how are we doing? How is it going? 
how are you, you know, it's, it's almost like you can be so concerned about your partner's experience that you can ruin the experience. Right. You can be so worried about getting it right, which has a performance kind of quality to it, right. but it's not right. even necessarily about like a technique as much as it is about like, am I enough? My own shame. Like there can be so much going on internally that you've got to really get sorted out and get clear about so that you can just be fully present and trusting and accepting that like we're here together doing this right. and we matter to each other. Yeah, for sure. I love that. That's huge. Okay. So let's go on to number seven. So number seven, yeah, just this is really important about being informed and educated about healthy sexuality versus being uninformed and uneducated. It's also the element of being able to have healthy communication about it because you have enough knowledge to converse about it versus not being able to have good conversation about it or be open and, and honest about it. That uninformed and uneducated piece is such a big deal. It's kind of, again, why I'm, uh, this book becomes so important for anyone going into marriage, the From Honeymoon to Happily Ever After, is because you're coming in with, and again, with pornography, unrealistic expectations, you know, sensationalized media, or no positive, no affirming, no healthy sexual context in your brain. And so you're really, almost even our young women now, I mean, they are a, lot, a little bit more sexually knowledgeable than maybe some of our other, our generations were, but they still aren't necessarily getting healthy because where are they going to get that? You know, it's, it's not like we have young women's lessons or even young men's lessons on healthy sexuality. And not many parents are doing a good job of that, to be honest. And so that's why, again, I've created three books so people can get that from somewhere good. Right. Because it's one extreme to sort of not know anything and not take charge of your own education. Right. It's another thing to learn all the wrong stuff. So right. there's really right. no excuse, especially obviously with your three books and tons of other right. resources on your website, hundreds of handouts. There's no reason that people should go into this in the dark. No. Whether they're newlyweds or they've been married for 40 years, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's yeah, good information. Yeah. And something really helpful, I think, for the couples listening that have been dealing with the pornography part, I find it very encouraging and very empowering to know that even if I'm a guy and I've struggled with pornography and participated in pornography since I was 10 or eight or whatever, I can unlearn that. I can relearn healthy sexuality. And that's why I'm, I'm a huge fan of using my audiobooks because if people will just play these books in the background of their mind, instead of the radio, sometimes even just a few minutes a day, then we're putting in healthy information that just starts to counter yep. the negative miseducation until we tip the scales back to a new norm. That's sexual wholeness and a healthy affirming version. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Number eight. Number eight. So multidimensional intimacy and connection. We're talking mental, emotional, spiritual, in addition to the physical and unhealthy is one dimensional, tends to be just physical, detached from the relationship. It's just a, a release, if you will. It's void of that mental, emotional, spiritual connection that we need. So this is a, a big concept for our sexual wholeness concept. Well, yeah, again, in pornography and even in the movies or like what we see portrayed, you're not seeing mental, emotional, and spiritual elements at all. No way. All no. you're seeing is just like the focus, like you said, on just physical behavior. And, and that's, I mean, that's just like watching, you know, in kind of a crude way, sort of just animals, right? It's just yeah. like, it's yeah. just, it's animalistic. It's just like, it's so base when it's stripped of the other stuff. Cause otherwise yeah. we're no better than animals. Yeah. And Jeff, it's so, you know, one of the things a lot of the wives that I work with ask more than anything is, 
Laura, please help us be able to create a little bit more of a spiritual connection and add more of that spiritual intimacy in. That's really an area that gets just totally disregarded and, and ignored. And that is a huge power. I mean, we haven't really even talked about female wiring specifically in this, in this context, but, but women need that emotional connection. That's the equivalent-ish of men, men's testosterone. And so when we don't have that emotional and spiritual just warmth and connection outside of the bedroom, then it's kind of like women having to have sex with no testosterone, you know? And if think of a man trying to have sex with no testosterone. That's what women are up against if they don't have that warmth and connection emotionally and spiritually, especially. Right. Which is, you know, in so many ways it's co-created. Yes. She has to take charge of developing that and opening up to it, but it is co-created so much of that. Right. Yeah. Right. Especially the emotional and spiritual element. That's right. She's mostly on her own to embrace and develop her sexuality. Yeah. That it's the C part in my diagram she needs him to do the connection part. Right. That's why the C is in both of their circles. Right. And so, so many women, when they, when they feel like they're getting one dimensional sex in their marriage, they put a lot of right. pressure on themselves to make it multidimensional alone. Right. And that's right. not going to happen. No. Yeah. No, not going to happen. So number nine, just kind of a quick one. Yep. This is mutual initiation, mutual effort is the healthy version. The unhealthy version is only the spontaneous desire spouse initiates. So there's an imbalanced effort now. And I get it because women are not big initiators naturally, at least our, our stereotypical lower desire wives, higher desire husbands. That's yeah. what 80% of our marriages are. Okay. And so it's totally reversed in, in the other case, but, but that probably the number one thing men are longing for is they just wish their wives would initiate once in a while, genuinely freely. And this is how I've got a, a couple where he says to me, Laura, this is how my wife initiates. We can have sex if you want to. <laughs> Ooh, baby. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? You know, he's just, and he yeah. says to me, I would do anything to have my wife just once say, I really want to have sex with you, honey. Should we have, do you want to have sex? You know, right. just, just like, right. just natural. And that's what I think is possible because I know it's possible. It right. just takes a lot of work. This is, and this is where men and women are not from different planets, right? The whole Mars no. Venus thing. This is like men and women both equally want to know they're wanted. Yeah. And men you know, might even want that more than women. It's like I say, the way I say it, Jeff, is men want to be wanted, whereas women want to be loved. Men almost, I, I use a story in my honeymoon book about, it, I was teaching a class at BYU and I was saying men, the number one need or want from a man is to be wanted. And the guy in the back of the room raised his hand. He says, you're blowing my mind right now. He says, I've always been like, you know, my wife talks about how much she loves me and whatever. And I'm just like, it's just so lame. And I said, did you just say lame about love? And he says, yeah, because I don't want to be loved. I want to be wanted. I want to be desired. And that is outside of the context of being pornified. I want to just kind of put a plug into that. I think that's how God wired men in his God-given good way. And it's important. And I can see what God was doing with the sexual wholeness thing here. It requires women to embrace and develop their own sexuality in order to pull that off well. Yeah. In addition to everything else we've talked about. No, that's so that's that's a great distinction. I love that because yes, I see that as well, where so many women are like, but I love him and I tell him all the time. And the husband's over there mm-hmm. dying because he just wants to feel pursued. A, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. You got it. Fantastic. Sure. Yeah, I love that. Okay, yeah. number 10. Ten. Yeah. yeah. Last one for this group. 
So this one is just mutuality versus self-centeredness. So it's each otherness or selfness. And so the mutuality is we're balancing self with the other person, respectful of each other's different wiring, different desires. Self-centered is more of that victimizing, ignoring the other's feelings or desires or boundaries, engaging in behaviors that the spouse finds a demeaning, degrading, disrespectful. And so it becomes harming to self and each other. And so, and this is where a lot of times a spouse will submit to avoid conflict. So we've got to really break out of this me and him. We've got to think more of, it's that respect piece. I'm respectful of the, you know, I used to have the same kind of feelings a lot of women do where it's just like, oh my goodness, why does my husband want sex so much? What is wrong with him? Whereas now I understand that that's a God-given part of how God made men. And I've embraced that and I accept that. And now we work with that. Same thing for my husband. He learns how I'm wired differently and he works within that instead of thinking I'm broken or that I don't work right or that something's wrong with me, that we just are respectful of those differences. And this is where really quieting down other people's marriages or yeah. right or what you see other places where you've got to right. quiet that. It's not helpful. Like you've got to pay attention to the person in front of you that you're having sex right. with. And yeah. saying, okay. how does it work for you? Asking good questions. What do you like? Not like that mutuality Perfect. is about respecting them as a separate person than you. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, awesome. I love so that. Good. Fantastic. Okay. So that's 10 and we're going to pause now and the next episode will go through the other 10 to make 20. And this episode's longer because we did a lot of setup and, you know, getting it started and we went through. So the next episode will be a little shorter, but you can get this handout on Laura's website. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can review this. If you feel like your brain is melting, going through all this information, <laughs> don't worry. We'll make sure that you have it in front of you, especially if you're a visual learner. And we want to make sure that these resources are in your hands and that they make sense and that they actually bless your marriage. Because like Laura is so good at, she wants practical tools, strategies, takeaways that you can actually do something with instead of it just kind of living out there in this sort of hypothetical sort of theoretical land, which isn't helpful to anybody. Yeah. So Laura, thank you. Again, I'll, I'll sure. put your contact info and how people can find you and all your resources in the show notes, but I'll have you back on in just a little bit. Sounds good. If you love what you're hearing and you want to follow Laura and find out more information about her and all the amazing resources that she has available, you can find her in a couple of places. She's got a couple of websites. One of them is strengtheningmarriage.com. And the other one is the, it's called maritalintimacyinstitute.com. So strengtheningmarriage.com, maritalintimacyinstitute.com, two separate websites. And if you want the client handouts and the resources, that's on the second one on maritalintimacyinstitute.com. She's got a podcast. She's on social media. You can find her at Strengthening Marriage. And then again, look in the show notes and you'll see all the different links to all the great resources that she references in this interview. And I'll be having Laura back on again for part two. We covered one through 10 on this interview. And in the next one, we'll cover 11 through 20 and continue to have great discussion about these things. So stay tuned for that. And once again, thank you for being here. I look forward to joining you on the next episode.